Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, celebrating 50 years of sharing God's unconditional love and grace. Welcome to the Gospel Truth broadcast. Welcome to a very special edition of the Gospel Truth. You are three parts, spirit, soul, and body. Healing is a part of the atonement of Christ. God wants you well. How can you doubt that you'll get it if you've already got it? You're already blessed. Everything that Jesus came to do, the power for it is released through the gospel, the good news, the nearly too good to be true news. Welcome to our Friday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today I am continuing to teach on your conscience, and I have a brand new book entitled, Who Told You That You Were Naked? It's actually a study on the conscience and how it works and how your conscience is the part that is condemning you and causing problems and how you have to purge it through the blood of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to continue to talk about that, but let me just once again say that our phones are not open today. We've given our employees the time off over the Thanksgiving holiday, and so uh, you can still order all of this material by going to our website, and it works 24-7, but our phones are not being manned today, so if you call, you will not get a person. And let me also say that we are still without our set because we are moving from our facility in Colorado Springs up to Woodland Park, Colorado. We have a 60,000 square foot building that I'm moving my Andrew Womack Ministries staff into, about 200 people from Colorado Springs, and we are having to rebuild the set. They are in the process of building it as I speak. And so at the moment, we don't have our a typical set that we normally use, and so we're having to use one of our conference rooms, and you're just looking out behind me at some of the, uh, uh, you know, background here on our beautiful facility in Woodland Park. You might even hear some construction noise, but uh, praise God, I'm glad they're working. I'm not going to tell them to stop. Hopefully it won't be uh, a bother to anyone. So this week, what I've been talking about is about when Adam and Eve sinned, and they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then immediately their eyes were open and that they knew that they had sinned. They were afraid. They ran from God. They took fig leaves and tried to cover their nakedness. When God called to them and said, where are you? Adam said, I was afraid and I hid myself. And the Lord said, who told you that you were naked? Where did this knowledge come from? Where did this fear come from? Where did the shame come from? And then he says, have you eaten of the tree? So the Lord right there said, I know where it came from. It came because you ate of that tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is where man first received a conscience. I believe that Adam and Eve functioned without one in the beginning. And the scripture says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, that the man and the woman were both naked and were not ashamed. But after they got a conscience, after they ate of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, then they immediately recognized their nakedness. They became ashamed, fearful, and they ran from God. So nothing changed. They weren't more naked after they sinned than they were before they sinned. The only thing that changed was their perception or their conscience, and their conscience is what brought this guilt and condemnation to them. So I've been trying to explain all of these things this week and, and ultimately where I'm headed. I've mentioned it, but I haven't explained it yet. But where I'm ultimately headed is that our conscience is condemning us 
at times when God is not condemning us. Matter of fact, for the New Testament believer, there is no condemnation. You should live a conscience free of sin because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet not very many Christians experience that. Matter of fact, most Christians would even think that's a bad thing. They would think that going around with a sin consciousness is a godly thing. The denomination that I was brought up in, they would constantly say things like, oh God, we come before you so humbly today. We aren't worthy to stand in your presence. We don't deserve anything. Oh God, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Now there are truths in those statements. And that is that none of us have a relationship with God because we deserve it. Everything that we receive from God is by grace. And so there is a knowledge of our relative unworthiness to God that I think is actually healthy, that we need to know that God loves us, uses us, answers our prayers, not because we deserve it, but because He is good. He's God. He's love. It's not because we're lovely. We need to know that. But this sin consciousness that I was raised with, where you just constantly feel sin, is not a good thing. Matter of fact, there was a man, I listened to his teaching. He pastored a large church in Florida, and he was teaching along these exact same lines about how we just live with this sense of unworthiness and un. Uh, ungodliness even after we're born again. And it's not correct. It's religion that has put this upon us. So he was teaching along these lines and he got up at the 8.30 a.m. service on a Sunday morning and he says, how many of you have sinned today? And nearly every hand in the place went up and his wife was in the audience. And so he looked at his wife and he says, what have you done today? It's only 8.30 in the morning. What, how have you sinned? And anyway, his wife says, well, I can't think of anything specific that I did, but I just know that I constantly fall short. I'm always less than the person I should be. And so he was using that as an example of how we just live with a sin consciousness. You know, instead, uh, he used this example. He says, you've done some things right. Why aren't you conscious of that? For instance, you know, you get up and you take a shower and go to church. That's good. I mean, you don't stink. You don't offend other people. That's a good thing. It, personal hygiene is good. She brushed her teeth. She had combed her hair. She had gotten dressed up. She looked nice. How come we don't notice, you know, and just live with a, a righteousness consciousness that I've done things that were right. I took care of myself. I'm doing what I'm supposed to. But instead, we just constantly live with this sin consciousness. Did you know that that is not the way that it should be and can be. Look at this passage of Scripture. This is phenomenal. Here's the Apostle Paul speaking, and this is when he was brought before the Roman government and uh, Ananias, the high priest, and look at what he said in Acts chapter 23 in verse 1. It says, Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thou whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. So here's the apostle Paul when he was accused of things. He says, I have lived in all good conscience. What did the religious people of the day do? They commanded that somebody hit him on the mouth. 
In other words, how dare you say that you have lived with a good conscience, that your conscience isn't condemning you? Did you know religion just could not accept that? And if you will stop and think about this, the Apostle Paul is the man who went to Damascus and he had been to other places and he was arresting Christians and committing them to jail and giving his testimony against them and many of them were put to death. The Apostle Paul is the one who held everybody's coat when they stoned Stephen to death. He had been involved in persecuting, killing Christians, causing mayhem, had done all kinds of things, and yet he says, I have lived in all good conscience before God unto this day. Man, that's amazing. The reason he had a clear conscience, a good conscience, wasn't because he had done everything right. He had actually murdered people in the name of the Lord, in religion. He had been deceived and he had done things wrong, and yet he was able to live with a good conscience. That's amazing. And this shows you the cleansing power and effect that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ can have upon a person. You know, the Apostle Paul, right here in this same context, he says, I have exercised myself to have always a conscience void of offense. Now, that's an amazing statement. He had to exercise himself. You know, the use of that word is describing, like, for instance, if you train for a race or if you were lifting weights or something, you just don't get up and one time do this and it's done, but it's a consistent, continual thing that you build upon time and time again. You know, I used to run races, and uh, the most race I ever ran was a half marathon. But uh, you just didn't go out and train the morning of the race. You had to start months for a half marathon. You had to start over six months in advance to build yourself up and work up to these things. And that's what exercise is. It's a continual, consistent thing that builds upon itself. And he says, I have exercised myself to have always a conscience void of offense. It's something that has to be done consistently, regularly, and it takes effort. You know, exercise is effort. If you're a couch potato, you are the antithesis of an exercise person. You, you've got to get up. It takes effort to do this. But man, it is so beneficial. The Lord has forgiven you of all sin. And this is something that, again, I'll teach on in more detail, but Hebrews chapter 9 says that all of your sin, past, present, and even future tense sins, have already been dealt with and forgiven. God has dealt with all of your sin. God is not holding sin against you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. The word reconcile there means to make friendly or to bring back into harmony. For instance, if you take a guitar and you uh, tune it so that those strings are in harmony instead of out of harmony, that's reconciling those strings to each other. God brought us back into harmony, into unity with him. And how does it say, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he did it? He reconciled us unto himself, not imputing our sins unto us. The word impute means to hold against, to record against. He is not holding our sins against us. And so because of this, we should have a clear conscience. 
NOW THIS DOES NOT MEAN THAT WE DON'T EVEN ACKNOWLEDGE WHEN WE DO SOMETHING WRONG. THERE IS STILL BENEFIT TO RECOGNIZING THAT WHAT I DID TO THIS PERSON IS WRONG AND THAT YOU SHOULD REPENT. YOU SHOULD STILL HAVE A STANDARD AND A, uh, AN ACKNOWLEDGEMENT OF RIGHT AND WRONG, BUT THERE SHOULDN'T BE THE CONDEMNATION. WE SHOULD BE ABLE TO CLEANSE OURSELVES FROM AN EVIL CONSCIENCE. YOU KNOW, LET ME uh, JUST... Re I'VE REFERRED TO THIS VERSE a number of times, but let me read this in Hebrews chapter 9 and in verse 14. It says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's implied here that if you don't have your conscience purged, if your conscience is still ministering guilt and condemnation to you, THAT YOU CANNOT SERVE THE LIVING GOD EFFECTIVELY. YOU HAVE TO PURGE YOUR CONSCIENCE THROUGH THE BLOOD OF THE LORD JESUS SO THAT YOU CAN um, SERVE THE LORD. YOU HAVE TO PURGE IT FROM THESE DEAD WORKS, FROM THE THINGS THAT YOU'VE DONE THAT ARE WRONG. BOY, THOSE ARE POWERFUL STATEMENTS. IN THE NEXT VERSE, VERSE 15 SAYS, AND FOR THIS CAUSE HE IS THE MEDIATOR OF A NEW TESTAMENT THAT BY MEANS OF DEATH FOR THE REDEMPTION OF THE TRANSGRESSIONS THAT WERE UNDER THE FIRST TESTAMENT, THEY WHICH ARE CALLED MIGHT RECEIVE THE PROMISE OF ETERNAL INHERITANCE. ONCE YOU APPROPRIATE WHAT JESUS HAS DONE FOR YOU, IT HAS DEALT WITH YOUR RELATIONSHIP BETWEEN YOU AND GOD, NOT ONLY IN THE PAST UP UNTIL THAT TIME, BUT IT DEALS WITH YOU IN THE PRESENT. FIRST JOHN CHAPTER 1 TALKS ABOUT THAT. THE BLOOD OF HIS SON CLEANSES US FROM ALL SINS, AND IT ALSO DEALS WITH THE FUTURE. THAT'S THE REASON YOU HAVE AN ETERNAL INHERITANCE. AND THEN OVER IN CHAPTER 10 AND IN VERSE 19, IT SAYS, HAVING THEREFORE, BRETHREN, BOLDNESS TO ENTER INTO THE HOLIEST BY THE BLOOD OF JESUS BY A NEW AND LIVING WAY WHICH HE HATH CONSECRATED FOR US THROUGH THE VEIL, THAT IS TO SAY, HIS FLESH, AND HAVING A HIGH PRIEST OVER THE HOUSE OF GOD, LET US DRAW NEAR WITH A TRUE HEART IN FULL ASSURANCE OF FAITH, HAVING OUR HEARTS SPRINKLED FROM AN EVIL CONSCIENCE AND OUR BODIES WASHED WITH PURE WATER. AGAIN, THIS IS uh, THE TERMINOLOGY HERE. I COULD SPEND AN HOUR OR TWO DEALING WITH THIS. HOPEFULLY YOU WILL BE ABLE TO GO AND STUDY THIS ON YOUR OWN OR MAYBE YOU'VE ALREADY KNOWN THESE THINGS. BUT IN THE OLD TESTAMENT, THERE WAS THE OUTER COURT, THERE WAS THE HOLY PLACE, AND THEN THE HOLY OF HOLIES. AND YOU COULD NOT JUST GO INTO THE HOLY OF HOLIES, THE PLACE WHERE GOD DWELT. THERE WAS A SEPARATION. THERE WAS A VEIL THAT SEPARATED PEOPLE FROM THAT. ONLY ONE PERSON WENT INTO THAT PLACE CALLED THE HOLY OF HOLIES, AND THAT WAS THE HIGH PRIEST. ONCE A YEAR, HE HAD TO GO THROUGH A CLEANSING FOR HIMSELF AND ALSO FOR THE PEOPLE. HE HAD TO ENTER IN WITH BLOOD. AND IF HE DIDN'T DO EVERYTHING RIGHT, GOD WOULD STRIKE HIM DEAD. AND THIS ISN'T RECORDED IN SCRIPTURE, BUT A NEW TESTAMENT uh, HISTORIAN, JOSEPHUS, WHO WROTE DURING THE FIRST CENTURY, uh, HE RECORDED THAT THE HIGH PRIEST ACTUALLY PUT A ROPE AROUND HIS ANKLE AND LET IT EXTEND OUT INTO THE HOLY PLACE BECAUSE IF HE WENT WITHIN THAT VEIL AND IF HE HADN'T PURIFIED AND DONE EVERYTHING JUST PERFECTLY, GOD WOULD STRIKE HIM DEAD AND THEY COULDN'T GO IN AND GET HIM. SO THEY PUT THIS ROPE AROUND HIS ANKLE SO THAT THEY COULD DRAG THE CORPSE OUT. <laughs> MAN, THAT WAS SOMETHING ELSE. SO THAT'S THE WAY IT WAS. THERE WAS THIS SEPARATION. YOU COULDN'T COME BEFORE GOD AND JUST ENTER BOLDLY INTO HIS PRESENCE IN THE OLD TESTAMENT BECAUSE SIN SEPARATED PEOPLE FROM GOD. BUT IN THE NEW TESTAMENT, AND THAT'S WHAT HEBREWS, THE BOOK OF HEBREWS WAS ALL WRITTEN ABOUT, 
He is saying, now let us enter boldly into the holy of holies. This is a statement that we just take for granted, but did you know the people that the book of Hebrews was written to, this was a radical statement. Nobody could enter into the presence of God. There was this veil that separated, but at the death of Jesus, that veil was rent in two from the top to the bottom. And this was a huge veil, and it was interwoven with golden thread. And this same historian, Josephus, said that that gold thread gave this veil so much strength that you could literally hook a team of horses up to either side of this veil pulling, and it would not tear that veil. For this veil to have been rent into from the top to the bottom, even if somehow or another you had enough strength or leverage to tear the veil, it couldn't have been done from the top to the bottom because you had no leverage up there. You would have had to have done it from the bottom up to the top. But this showed that it was God that tore this veil. And this veil was the flesh of the Lord Jesus. And once he offered himself and his body was broken for us, now the way into the holiest place is made perfect. And we should have no more sense of guilt and condemnation when we come before God. And yet very few, very, very few Christians appropriate that. So with all of that in mind, let me read this again. It says in verse 19, "...having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil," that is to say, his flesh, "...and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water." Let me just suggest to you that very few people enter God, enter the presence of God this way. The average person enters the presence of God just mentioning, oh God, I'm so unworthy. God, I'm so vile. God, I know I don't deserve anything. It's kind of like a, a beggar mentality. And we, we ask for God's blessing, but we do it with such a sense of unworthiness. That's not what this is talking about. That We should have a boldness to enter into the very presence of God. The thing that keeps most people from doing that is this conscience that has not yet been purged. And we think somehow or another it's God that is giving us this sense of unworthiness. We blame the Holy Spirit for this, and yet it's not. It's your own conscience that has not been purged and washed from these dead works. And praise God, I'm going to be sharing with you how you can cleanse that conscience. You know, if I was with you at your home, and if your young child, say a child that was five, six, seven, something like that, if they came in to the kitchen and they just fell down on their face and, oh, mom, I know that I'm unworthy. I know that I don't deserve anything. I know I didn't make my bed today. I know I haven't done all of my chores. I know I haven't had the right attitude. And if they just started mentioning all of their sins, but then they said, but I'm hungry. Could I please get something? Maybe if it's not a meal, if you could just give me a little bit, if I could just get a little bit to keep me going. If your child was to approach you that way, everything they said might be true. Maybe they didn't make their bed. Maybe they hadn't done all their chores. Maybe they hadn't had the right attitude. But if your child approached you that way and just constantly spewed out all of their failures and the things that they've done wrong, and that's the way that they came and asked you for a piece of bread or something to drink, 
I can guarantee you, I would say there is something wrong with your relationship. Either their perception of you is totally wrong or you have been treating them badly. Well, I can guarantee you that God, our Father, never treats us badly, but I believe that our perception of Him is totally wrong. I believe that our conscience has been defiled and because of it, we live with a sin consciousness and we approach God in this beggarly attitude and don't appropriate what Jesus has made available. We aren't doing what this says where we come before Him right into the holiest place with boldness, having a true heart and our conscience purged and cleansed from an evil conscience. We need this. And this is what this entire teaching that I'm doing is all about. You know, I've used this example before, but I was raised with this sin consciousness. And I heard some people say that they were the righteousness of God. And boy, when they said that, I mean, it was just like, you know, this Ananias, the high priest, where he commanded them to smite Paul on the mouth because he said he had lived with a good conscience. And man, religion just couldn't tolerate that. When I heard these guys say that they were the righteousness of God, I got so incensed, I, I pulled out my little three scriptures on them. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags. And I just read these people the riot act. Instead of getting mad, they loved me and they started sharing scriptures with me that just turned my whole theology upside down. I didn't accept it immediately, but what I did was go by concordance. And during that week, I fasted all week long and I looked up every verse in the Bible that used the word righteous, righteousness, righteousness says. And at the end of that week, I intellectually saw that I was made righteous through Jesus. The scripture declares it, but I couldn't embrace it. I had this sin consciousness. And so anyway, I was struggling with what I saw and what I knew to be true, but what I felt in my heart, this condemnation that was coming from my conscience. And I went out and sat on my back porch and I had this dog that had uh, the previous owner had beat the thing. And so every time it would come up to you, it would stop and roll over on its side and scoot up whining, like, afraid it was going to be beaten. And I had never treated this dog badly. And yet every time that dog came that way and I was sitting out there thinking about all of this and when this dog did this, I just lost my temper at this dog. And I said, one time I'd like you to come and just jump up on me like a normal dog and act like I haven't beat you. People think I'm treat you terribly. And as I was reading this dog, the riot act, God spoke to me and he said, Andrew, that's the way I feel about you. He says, one time I would like you to come like I have forgiven you and redeemed you of all sin and that there was no punishment and, and one time I'd like you to come into my presence praising me for how much I love you instead of complaining about how sorry you are. Instead of talking about how bad you are, talk about how good I am. That changed my life. That's what we're talking about. And this week, all I've done really is give an introduction to this. Next week, we're going to continue to get further into this. I've got this teaching entitled, Who Told You That You Were Naked? This is a brand new book. I've got CDs and DVDs on the same subject. If you'll listen, our announcer will give you some information. Our helpline is closed today, but you can go to our website and order all of these materials. We hope that you've been blessed by today's teaching, which was taken from Andrew's brand new series titled, Who Told You That You Were Naked? 
Let me mention once again that I've got a brand new book entitled, Who Told You That You Were Naked? This is actually a study on the conscience. It wasn't God that told Adam he was naked. It wasn't the devil. It was his conscience, that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I not only have the book, but I have CDs, and I also have DVDs that were taken from our television program. And I tell you, this teaching would really, really help you to have a confidence and an assurance and a boldness with God. So listen to our announcer as he gives you information how you can receive this product. Andrew's teaching titled, Who Told You That You Were Naked? is available in a four-part CD album or in a DVD album made from our daily television broadcast. You can also get this teaching in book form. Our helpline is closed today to allow our employees to celebrate the holiday. But you can always visit our website where you can order ministry materials online 24 hours a day, seven days a week at awmi.net. On our website, you'll not only find materials from today's broadcast, you'll find a wealth of ministry resources available to you. If you prefer, you can order materials by writing us. Use the address on your screen. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of December, Andrew will be hosting a special holiday production titled The Heart of Christmas at the Sanctuary in Woodland Park. The Heart of Christmas is an unforgettable mix of modern day and biblical stories with heartwarming familiar seasonal songs and American traditions that represent the true meaning of the season. In January, to welcome in the new year, Andrew will be in Glendale, Arizona for the annual Phoenix Gospel Truth Conference. And in February, he'll be in Orlando and Oakland, Florida. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net. Thanks to the friends and partners of Andrew Womack Ministries, Karis Bible College is raising up more disciples than ever before on the sanctuary property. But what if you can't make it to Colorado? Being a stay-at-home mom with three kids, it would not be possible for me to pack up and move to Colorado. I knew God wanted me to go to Bible college. I made up my mind and said to God, I said, I know I'm going, whether it's Colorado or wherever. Is there an option for you? With over 70 campus locations around the world, there is a place for you to begin your journey. If that seed's there and you've got something close to you like we do here, You've got to go for it. More than likely, God's already speaking to you about going to Karis Bible College. You just need to make the step. You will never, ever regret going to an extension school. It will change your life forever. Join the Karis community of like-minded believers by discovering a campus location near you at karisbiblecollege.org. Bring Karis with you wherever you go with our new Karis app. Free to download, the Karis app allows you to easily access everything Karis Bible College has to offer in one place. Receive exclusive Grace content and explore unique Karis features. Watch or listen to archived resources and teachings. Follow along with the Bible reading plan or listen to the audio Bible. The Karis app brings everything in one place. Download your app today.
you want to connect with like-minded believers? Do you want to go deeper in God's Word through the teachings of Andrew Womack? Do you believe God has more? Then Karis Bible Studies is the place for you. Connect with believers in your area to dig into the message of God's unconditional love and grace. You will be encouraged to grow with a small group of believers as you study the Word and fellowship. The leaders are Karis alumni with a solid foundation in the Word of God. They have embraced Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations, even those in their backyard. Karis Bible Studies are connecting believers with the Word of God in your neighborhood. Find a Bible study near you by visiting karisbiblestudies.net.